0: Welcome to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. This week, Pastor Ben Pitney kicks off a new series out of the book of Matthew. Love for Enemies is the first message of part one, Sweet Emotions. Grab your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 and 44. At Vail Christian Church, we believe in training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. It just seems like... It just seems like uh, our culture that we uh, live in right now, the the world that we live in right now is just driven by emotion. We react like crazy to all kinds of things, and you can just see emotions are high. Sometimes I get up in the morning and I feel like with all my heart, I feel like I'm on top of the world and I can tackle anything, and I'm kind of driven by emotions. It might be a little bit of coffee but i 'm driven by um, my I just feel really good and and uh, there are other days when I just want to say man i 'm tired of this, somebody else do it i 'm out right and uh, the world that we live in is just highly volatile emotionally, and so we're going to tackle the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew over this uh, next year or so we're going to take uh, take our time going through it but um, I think that lots of people in this in the Gospel of Matthew are react to Jesus emotionally and uh, react to the uh, times they live in emotionally as well and so we 're going to kind of journey through that together. And so, we're not going to just start at the chapter 1 and walk through it like that. We're going to kind of take it in big sections and I'm going to develop it into uh, parts or pieces, so to speak. So over these next few weeks, we're going to address loving our enemies and loving our neighbors as well. And so, take your Bible out and turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 43. Uh, excuse me. Chapter five, <laughs> verse forty-three. <laughs> the Gospel of Matthew, chapter five, verse forty-three. Let's just read it together. We're going to focus this morning on just a couple of verses first, and uh, and then we'll kind of move on to uh, some other things. So I want to put it in context. So, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, Jesus said here, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. Those are the two verses that we're going to connect to and focus on today. There are more that we're going to look at, but I just want you to um, uh, know where we're headed here because... I want you to see the big picture of the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus, um, he's been baptized, he's called his disciples, and he's teaching, and large crowds are gathering, and so this is a significant message, this is a significant sermon that he gives, and it's quite long, actually, and we draw lots of truth out of um, this text here. But I want to—I want you to see the bigger picture, the wider picture actually today uh, and how its commandments relate to the whole ministry of Jesus. So Jesus has a ministry that unfolds in his life that we get to see throughout this gospel. And our lives as Christ followers is highly connected to his ministry and life. And that's what we want to see. Next week we're going to move on um, on uh, into the specific command to love your enemies and see how it looks actually in practice. But today, I, I, I want to start, and my first point is how the Great Commission helps us understand this love command. These are love commands, love for your enemies and love for your neighbors. So Jesus said something at the, the, at the end of his life on earth, and uh, that is the centerpiece of our mission— all right? And our mandate for being a Christ follower or for life in Christ, our purpose, our role, our instructions, what we're supposed to do, who we're supposed to be. He says some things about that. And you cannot begin to obey the commandments to love your enemies and to love your neighbors, all right? If this isn't understood, if this if this isn't believed and it's not taught, the things that Jesus says at the end of his life. So if there is a time where people are being hurt, people are, are feeling like they're being betrayed, people are being misunderstood, there's a lot of hurt. And so I feel like people, it, it's such a, there's such polarization in our culture right now. Um, I think people would say if you ask them, yeah, I've got enemies out there. I've got enemies. So you can't begin to love on these folks unless we start right here with what Jesus says. So one of the last things he says after he dies and rises again from the dead and before he ascends into heaven is in Matthew chapter 28. So turn with me to Matthew 28. Now follow along in your Bible and put it up on the screen. It kind of violates a little bit of what... What I really like to do, but I put it up on the screen, but not for you just to look at it. (laughs) And I want you to get lazy. I'm not scolding you, but I want you to turn in your Bible or your tablet or your your device and make notes here. So Matthew 28 and go down to verse 18. And these are some of Jesus' last words right here. So he says, then Jesus came up and he said to them, and he's saying this to all of his guys, his disciples, his followers. And he's helping them connect the dots. He says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, or so, or because of that, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you and remember I'm with you always to the end of the age. So there's a few things that are really important there. I would underline the words today, everything, right, in verse 20, teaching them to obey everything, all right? And this is extremely important right here for understanding the scripture today in Matthew chapter 5, in basically verses 43 through 48. Now, I only read a couple of verses, but there's this whole section of scripture that I'm not going to address all of it today, but verses 43 through 48. And it's all about loving your enemies, in particular. In in other words, we can't understand how to love our enemies unless we get to, and we understand first, Matthew 28, verses 18 and 20. So Jesus says, go everywhere and make disciples. Go everywhere. This includes bringing them to faith, And allegiance in Christ expressed in baptism. So you just got to hear some awesome people express life in Christ. And we got to witness their baptism. And it includes now teaching them to obey everything that he had commanded in verse 20. Everything, right? Teaching them to obey everything that I commanded you. And he expects us, Jesus does, to do this till the end of the age How come I know that? He says, because remember, remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So this is important because there are so many today that deny the everything in this command, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So everything, not just the things that we feel comfortable with, not just the things we understand, not just the easy things, but the hard things as well. Everything. Now, let's put this into context because this is my first point and kind of the main idea here. I want to go back and I want to look at the command to love our enemies in its context. All right? Both in close context and in the wider context of the Gospels. Matthew 5, verse 43 through 44 is the last of several statements in the Sermon on the Mount that begin with this phrase, you have heard that it was said. You have heard that it was said. So Jesus is saying, you guys, pay attention. I, wanna, I have some things I'm going to speak to you about now, and I want you to know. You have heard that it was said. And then he says, but... I say to you, all right? So there's a, there's a series of statements, and it begins in chapter 5, verse 21. So just before this series, in verse 20, Jesus says this, though. He says, For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is kind of a significant thing to get your arms around, actually. Because then comes the six statements. You have heard that it was said, but I say to you. So I take this to mean, here's what I think is happening here. That Jesus is explaining in these six statements what the righteousness looks like that he requires beyond what the scribes and the Pharisees require. Or the experts in the law and the Pharisees, what they require. It seems and it appears that the experts in the law and the Pharisees, what they require is to kind of check some boxes. And it's very disconnected and it is not relational. It is definitely not connected to Jesus' ministry in the, in the way that he fleshes out ministry, right? So you find these six statements in verse 21. You can look that up for yourself. Verse 27, verse 31, verse 33, verse 38, verse 43. You can find all these six statements You've heard that it was said, and then he'll lay it out, right? Here's what these experts in the law, and and they're drawing from the Old Testament. But then he says, but I say to you, here's how you need to live. Here's how you need to flesh this out. Here's how you need to address these issues, right? So what Jesus is doing here in these six statements is showing his disciples how some of the scribes and the Pharisees applied the Old Testament teaching, and then in contrast, he contrasts it What he was calling them to do and what he's calling them to do, his disciples, which means us as disciples and followers of Christ, he's requiring us to get beyond what they're doing and do something different, something deeper and much more relational and I think much more meaningful and actually powerful. So. When verse 20 says this, Matthew 5, 20. For I tell you, unless your righteousness goes beyond that of the experts in the law and the Pharisees. You know, that kind of righteousness, that kind of living, that kind of way of fleshing it out. You will never enter the kingdom of heaven because it's not just checking boxes, you guys. It's not just doing stuff. He's saying there's a way of life. There's an authentic deep, unhypocritical way of life that you must live if you want to arrive in heaven. It's connected to the way you live. It's connected to the way you live. In fact, the way you live proves that you are connected to me. So he's not saying this too. You got to get your arms around this just a little bit. It's almost impossible. As important to look at what he's not saying. He's not saying I have an impossible standard of righteousness that you could never meet. And so stop trying to meet it and trust in my righteousness. He's not saying that. He is saying, are you ready? Here's what he's saying. If you come to me, if you trust me and you receive the power of the kingdom... And be cleansed on the inside by the forgiveness and love of God that I offer. And you put your, your hope on my promises. And you let my redeeming death cover all your failures. And all your imperfections. And all your sin and all your shortcomings. Then you will be able to live this way, people. You'll be able to live this way. Not perfectly. Not perfectly. But Powerfully, And your life will be the light of the world, by the way, that proves you are the children of God. You'll light the way for people. You'll, you'll, you'll be illumination in all of this darkness. Now, does that sound relevant today? My goodness, it just feels like there is a lot of darkness. There's a lot of strife and turmoil and chaos, right, and hurt. And trauma and confusion, creating an emotional roller coaster that we're all on. That all of us don't even know, hardly know what to believe anymore. What's true? What's real? What's authentic? What should I believe in? What should I trust? <laughs> Jesus says, Hey, I want you to put your trust in me. And when you do, I will light you up, and people will be able to see. All the same things that they see in me in you. Now, the third uh, point that I want to make here, this is about evidence not earning salvation. So if you're not careful, you can start going down this road of earning. I have to work for my salvation. There's some sort of payment that I have to make. Make. So in other words, Jesus is assuming that something very profound has happened to people who live the way the Sermon on the Mount calls them to live, all right? And I want to try to show you why I think this and why it is that uh, um, and what it is that has to happen to us so that we can live this way and exceed the righteousness of the experts in the law, the scribes and the Pharisees, right? Right? Not to earn our way to heaven, but to show that God has graciously and powerfully, by the way, changed us from the inside out and promised us heaven, transformed us, right? Look at verses 44 and 45 in Matthew, right? Verses 44 and 45, he says, But I say to you, it's Matthew chapter 5, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you, verse 45 so that you may be like your Father in heaven, since he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Now, if you're not careful, you might think that you must first become a person who loves his enemies before you can be a child of God if you're, if you're not careful. that you, We got to kind of clean yourself up and get your act together and do some things and kind of brush up before... You can be a child of God. But what it means here is love your enemies and prove yourself to be what you are, a child of God. In other words, show you are a child of God by acting the way your father acts. If you're his, then his character is in you. And you'll be ready to do what he does. God loves his enemies, the evil and the unrighteous. And sending rain and sunshine on them instead of instant judgment. So this means loving your enemies shows that God is your father. Now, why do I think that? There's a lot of reasons. But I want to give you two from the Sermon on the Mount. One comes from Matthew 5:16. If you want to look at verse 16, and maybe you know this verse. It's kind of a famous verse, Right? Let your light shine before people so that you can see, or excuse me, so they can see your good deeds and give honor to your Father in heaven. And there's two things you need to notice about this. One is that Jesus speaks to his disciples and he calls God their Father. He doesn't say he may become your Father. He says he is your Father. And then the other thing to notice is that when people see the good work of the, of, of the disciples, like loving their enemies, they give honor to our Father. So this is really, really important stuff, isn't it? Why? Because our Father is in us, helping us and enabling us to do all this good work, to do all these things. If we did the good works on our own so that we could then become children of our Father, the world would see the good works and give us the honor. Oh, you're pretty cool. I mean, you're so sacrificial. You're so good. Right? So Jesus not only says that God is already the Father of the disciples, but this is the very reason that they can do the loving works that they do. The light that they, that they let shine is the light of their father's love within them. Now, this is really important. So let's go on to this next point. And I'm going to call it the rule of thumb guide for behavior. But maybe like um, my grandparents, you, you might know this as the golden rule. The golden rule. But I'm going to call it the rule of thumb guide for behavior. It's more complicated, but I'm going to show you why I like this. All right. The other reason, all right, I think Jesus means that loving our enemies is not the cause, but the evidence of our having God as our father. It comes from Matthew chapter 7. So go to just a couple of pages over Matthew chapter 7 and look at verses 11 and 12. That's where you're going to find this. Matthew 7, 11 and 12 says, If you then, although you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And everything, here it comes, ready? Treat others as you would want them to treat you, for this fulfills the law and the prophets. So here again, Jesus tells his disciples that God is their Father, even though they are imperfect in their love. He calls them evil, right? And that he is more ready to give us help we need than we are to give our own children help when they ask. Then, and this is a really vital point right here. Then, in verse 12, Jesus draws his conclusion from his teaching about the love of God's fatherhood in verse 11. Look at verse 12, Matthew 5, 12. So you've got to go back to chapter 5. In everything, treat others as you would want them to treat you, for this fulfills the law and the prophets. I like how it's communicated in Eugene Peterson's paraphrase, the message. Maybe you've read his paraphrase. It is a... Um, It's not a translation. It's a paraphrase. It's meant to be read audibly. Look how he says, Matthew 7, 12. He says, here is a simple rule of thumb guide for behavior. I love it. Ask yourself what you want want people to do for you. Then grab the initiative and do it for them. Add up God's law and prophets and this is what you get. I really like this. Based on God's fatherly heart, right, God will answer your prayers and take care of you. In everything, love others the way you want to be loved. In other words, Jesus makes our love for others the result or fruit of God's fatherly love for us. Not the payment we make to become his children. So when Jesus says back in Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, But I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be like your Father in heaven. So when he says that, Jesus does not mean that loving our enemies earns us the right to be a child of God. That's not what he's teaching or saying. You can't earn the status of a child. You can't be uh, you can be born into it. You can be adopted into it. You can't work your way into it. Jesus means that loving our enemies shows that God has already become our father. And the only reason we're able to love our enemies is because he loves us and has met our needs first. And so he, gives, he just keeps on giving us clues, which is my next point here, good trees bear. Good fruit. Think about this for a minute. Matthew 7, again, Matthew chapter 7, verse 16 and 17. You will recognize them by their fruit. So then he says, Grapes are not gathered from thorns or figs from thistles, are they? In the same way, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. So what is... What Jesus is saying is that you can't produce the fruit of love in order to become a good tree. You have to become a good tree in order to produce the fruit of love. Becoming a child of God is being transformed on the inside, right? Becoming a good tree precedes and enables love, not the other way around. So there are some presuppositions here, or... Um, yeah, some presuppositions in my next point, right? When you look at the Sermon on the Mount again, you put it in its wide context. As a whole, you find that all the commandments assume, they presuppose, they presuppose some things that a transformation or a conversion has happened, all right, a new birth Beyond the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. See, those guys are just checking the boxes and they're just doing stuff and things. The Sermon on the Mount presupposes a transformation that happens in true faith believing in Christ. So we don't earn our salvation or our entrance into heaven. These guys kind of are operating like that. Like you, you earn it, you work. You do things, right? It doesn't matter what you do. You find it all throughout this gospel. We'll, we'll see it. The way they pray, the way they give, the way they do stuff, the way they don't do stuff. We do not earn our salvation or our entrance into heaven. And, and this is a big deal because lots of people sort of think that you do. We receive it as a free gift and gracious promise. And then... We live in a way that shows where our our allegiances lie, where our allegiances are, and our priorities are, where our treasure is, right, and who our Father is, who our Father is. Loving our enemies is proof that the power of the kingdom has entered your life. Loving your enemies proves that. Not a payment for the power of the kingdom to enter your life. Loving your enemies is proof of where your allegiances lie. So the Sermon on the Mount and the command to love your enemies, it's not just isolated, moral, social, behavioral teachings. Just good stuff. No. This is relational and it's transforming. And... If you're to live the other way, like these guys, it's what well, way he's contrasting the way they're living and the way he says, but I say to you, this is the way you need to live. This is the way it is. This is the reality. See, there's no power in the other way. They're not going to be able to see. They can only see just the light that, that you're able to produce, which isn't very much. It's pretty dim, right? The Sermon on the Mount, the command to love our enemies is really different when it comes out of Jesus's mouth, right? And all this stuff, right? All this teaching comes from a foundation of grace in the life and the ministry of Jesus. So it's connected to Jesus. That's why we focus on Jesus's ministry and how he does things, how he acts, what his attitudes are, what his heart is, right? That's where all the foundation is. So I want to make sure that we see the outline of that foundation because this is where we get the power to love our enemies. Otherwise, you're just loving within your power. And you know what? I'm not very good at that, and I fail it all the time. This is how we become the children of God and where we get all this power. Let's talk about the foundation of grace in Jesus' life and ministry. When you look at the Sermon on the Mount again, And this is not a mistake in its wide context, right? The very first word of the Sermon on the Mount is blessed are the poor in spirit for the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. We don't enter the kingdom of heaven because of the moral resources that we bring to the world, because of all of our goodness and all of our stuff and all that that, that we, we, all of our gifts that we, we have, right? We enter by confessing humbly our poverty in spirit, that we got nothing without Jesus. How do I know this? In Mark chapter 10, verse 15, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, right? All these gospels in Mark 10, 15, Jesus says this. He says, I tell you the truth. Listen to me, I got something to say to you. Let me tell you how it really is Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. How do children receive the kingdom of God, right? Receive Jesus. Oh, it's so childlike. You know, have you ever, ever experienced that with a child? It's so sweet. It's so good. It's so pure and so innocent and so trusting, right? If you're a dad, you know this because you've done this thing and you you felt terrible about it afterwards? You're in the pool. You ever been in the in the swimming pool with your child and they're on the edge and they don't want to jump in? And you say, trust me. Come on. And then you just back up and you kind of let them just, right? Because they do. And then they go under and they're like, oh. We're going to catch, I'll catch you, I'll catch you. And you let them do it on purpose because you want them to to know that you're there and whatever. And then you feel bad, like, "Ah, I shouldn't have done that. And then the next time you say, trust me, they don't. Right? But that first, that very first thing, your kids love you so much. When you say, trust me, I'll catch you, they do. They'll do anything you say. That's what he's talking about here. That's exactly what Jesus says. That's how you enter the kingdom of heaven, right? I tell you the truth. Whoever does not receive the, the kingdom of, of God like a child will never enter it. you got to trust. It is a gift to the poor in spirit who are broken and childlike and have no self-importance of self-sufficiency. In Mark chapter 2, you can back up in the Gospel of Mark to verse 17. Jesus says... When he heard this, he said to them, Those who are healthy don't need a physician, but those who are sick do. I've not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. Why are we saying this? We enter the kingdom poor in spirit, helpless like a child, sick and in need of a spiritual physician, right? This is what Jesus was doing when he ate with the tax collectors and the sinners. If, if you were to uh, be in the, uh, just kind of go back in time at the, during the time of the first century church. And in this context, tax collectors, oh my gosh. Those people are considered the worst. Cheaters and everything else. I mean, awful, right? And so that's why they're lumped into this. Jesus is eating with these kinds of people that everybody thought were terrible and sinners. He was pursuing the poor and the helpless and the sick and the self-sufficient. How do they talk? They talk under their breath. Luke 15, 2. Look what they say. They talk, they murmur, they mumble, they grumble, right? Under their breath. Luke 15, 2 says, but the Pharisees and the experts in the law were complaining. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. <laughs> it's so foreign and so, such a contrast, right? Of what they think and what Jesus thinks, Right? And when they said that, Jesus tells them the parable of the prodigal son. Such a beautiful story. And the point was, I don't eat with the sinners because I like sin, you guys. What's wrong with you? I eat with sinners because I am the love of God. Because I'm welcoming the poor. Because I'm welcoming the helpless, the diseased sinners, sinful people far from God, forgiving them, cleansing them, making them new, and sending them out then to love in the power of God. Which is why he could say to the chief priests and the elders of the people, all the people in charge at this point in Matthew twenty-one thirty-one, he says, I tell you the truth, you guys. Let me tell you again. Let me tell you how it really is. I love it when he says this. It's like, you better pay attention. Listen to what I'm saying. Tax collectors and prostitutes will go ahead of you into the kingdom of heaven. Talk about poke these guys in the eye. <laughs> That's what you want to hear? These are, the, these are terrible people to these people, right? How could this be? People far from God, sinners and prostitutes getting into the kingdom of God? The bottom line answer Jesus gave, Mark chapter 10, verse 45. What does he say? For even the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for for many. Do you see how, as a disciple of Christ, how we are connected to Jesus' ministry? And how Jesus does ministry and thinks and how his heart is fleshed out with all these people is how our heart has got to be connected and fleshed out with the people that we live with. He came to die for these folks and for us. The Sermon on the Mount and the command to love our enemies, it's not just isolated ethical teachings, just good stuff, right? They grow up out of transformational living and, 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 and foundational living and found the foundation of grace in the life and the teachings of Jesus. It's important to follow the teachings of Jesus then. How does Jesus live and what does he say? What does he ask us to do? This is where we get the power to love. Power to love. And we all have it when you swear allegiance to the king, believing faith in Jesus and the work of Jesus at the cross. That he loved us while we were poor and diseased and helpless and enemies and gave himself for us. Now, who are our enemies? That's what we want to get to. We'll talk about that next week, who our enemies are. And what does loving them actually look like? We'll look at that next time, but right now, what does this really have to do with me? What does this have to do with me? Can we boil it down to that? Number one, Jesus is calling us to do something different and deeper as Christ followers, to be something different and to be something deeper. This isn't just checking the boxes throwing some money in the offering plate and doing some good things and stuff like that, right? This is deeper than that, and that's what he's calling us to. This is a relational thing, an investment. When you swear allegiance to the king, your life belongs to him, and he has a radical way of living. Meaning you may be eaten with some tax collectors, prostitutes, and sinners, That's what he's calling us to do. Number two, there's a way of life that is authentic, not hypocritical, not fake, not pretend. So many people that are pretending, there's a way of life that's authentic, deep, and unhypocritical that you must live if you want to arrive in heaven. It's time to stop pretending. Maybe you've been pretending. Maybe you've just been playing church. Maybe today... This is the Sunday where you, 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 you get to this point like we heard here where it's like, hey, you know what? I'd really like to see my kids come to Jesus and know about God and recognize, oh, my gosh, I need to, it needs to start with me. Maybe that's you today. Does it need to start with you? Have you just been kind of goofing around with this? And maybe this is the time because because uh, the, the, the world is in such upheaval, you're, say, you're saying to yourself, my goodness, there's got to be something more than this. I mean, this is crazy. And you're looking for answers and you've been searching. It's right here. It's right here. Number three, see, you can live and love, not perfectly, but powerfully. And your life will be the light of the world that proves you are the children of God. You can live this way. How do I know? Because remember what Jesus has been saying through this whole sermon now that we looked at this wider context. He's saying, if you come to me, if you trust me, if you receive the power of the kingdom, if you will be cleansed on the inside by the forgiveness and love of God that I offer, and if you'll put your hope in, in, in my promises, not the world's promises, Not everything that the world has to offer. If you put your hope in in me and that my redeeming death cover all your failures, cover all your imperfections and all your sin, then you'll be able to live in love. Remember, not perfectly. We're all going to biff it. (laughs) But powerfully, powerfully and your life will be the light of the world that proves you are the children of God. That's what he's saying right here, and that's what we got to understand. That's what we have to know. That's where all the power is. Number four, loving our enemies is proof that the power that we've been talking about of the kingdom has entered your life. Not a payment for the power of the kingdom to enter your life, but, right, proof. Proof. Those implications are pretty huge because... There's a lot of betrayal and a lot of hurt, a lot of chaos, right? I think you could describe our world. I feel like there's a there's a lot of enemies out there. What does this have to do with me? It's all connected to me and a relationship with Christ. That's where it starts. Will you bow your head with me just for a moment? Thank you. Thank you, Father. That you gave us your son Jesus, that you made a way, you made a way through your son Jesus. And we need that way so badly. Whether we are a believer in Jesus now or not, we were all people far from you. We're all sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes but you made a way for us to get into the kingdom. Your son Jesus gave his life as a ransom for us. Paid our debts. We're extremely grateful now. Teach us through these next number of weeks how to truly, truly love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a really great day, you guys. Thank you for listening to the Vale Christian Church podcast. Join us next week as we continue in the Book of Matthew. If you have any questions, would like more information about our church, or would like to see the video cast of this message, please visit our website at www.valechristian.com.